Hello, welcome to the self-learning podcast by Dr. Shushma Singh. Let us start discussion on Unit 4 Diversity and Pluralism and our topic is Political Democracy and Economic Development in India 1947-1967. In the first years of independence, the strategy of economic development was shaped by a political consensus. There was a long-term perspective in Nehruvian India. Congress accommodated the poor peoples under the rubrics of socialism articulated effectively in the form of the Bombay Plan of 1944 and the new industrial policy resolution in 1948. Under this Nehru Mahalonovism strategy, Indian state was to take responsibility for the provision of infrastructure as well as large and heavy industrial investment. Democracy came to India neither as a response to an absolutist state nor as a realization of an individualistic conception of society. It also did not follow capitalist industrialization and development. Hence, there was a contrast with the experience in the advanced capitalist liberal societies of the West. The anti-colonial struggle was based more on the demand for an autonomous space for the nation than about individual freedom. Gandhian notion of a just state was promised on the idea that the collective interest must take precedence over the individual interest. The nationalist leadership visualized a democratic republic with the pledges to secure justice, liberty, equality and fraternity for all its citizens. Universal franchise was thus granted in one go in a predominantly agrarian society lacking in term of democratic consciousness. In the above situation, the state had an important role to play that was of a mediator between the political democracy and the economic democracy. Thus, if the logic of the market meant exclusion of a significant proportion of people, particularly the poor, it was necessary for the state to ensure the inclusion of such people in the economic sphere. As the colonial past and the nationalist present shaped the above strategy of economic development, consensus efforts were made to limit the degree of openness and of the integration with the world community in pursuit of the more autonomous if not self-reliant development. It was a departure from the colonial era marked with the open market and the unregulated market that favored the metropolitan capital. What were the objectives? They were to catch up with the industrialized world and to improve the living conditions of the people. It was believed that the primacy of the market mechanism would lead to access consumption by the rich and underinvestment in the sectors critical for development. At the same time, it was assumed that the agriculture was subject to diminishing returns, so 
industrialization should be preferred as it was supposed to bring increasing returns and greater employment opportunities. So, the main input were the lead role of public investment industrialization based on the import substitution, the emphasis on the capital goods sector, industrial licensing to the to guide the investment in the private sector, relative neglect of agriculture, more emphasis on heavy industries than the traditionally small or cottage ones. Large doses of public investment created a physical infrastructure and helped in setting up of intermediate goods industries that reduced the cost of input used by the private sector and increased the demand for goods produced by the public sector. Import substitution was implemented through the market protectionism guaranteeing market for the domestic capitalist not for the present, but for the future also. As demanded exceeded the supply as a result of import restrictions. Due to its legacy of leading an anti-colonial struggle based on the core principle of the nationalism and development, the Congress became the ruling dominant party. There was a political consensus that the industrialization meant development and in national interest was to be equated with people's interest. Redistribution as a policy was not encouraged as redistribution could be only of poverty that would have harmed savings. The foreign capitalists and the zamindars were excluded from the political economy of development. Land reforms could not be implemented as a lower level bureaucracy in alliance with the local landed politician lobby obstructed it. The glaring loopholes in the legislation did not help as also the position of the upper caste landlords. The net result was that the owners turned into cultivators. Community development programs, panchayati systems, social legislation including reservations in the educational institutions and the employment were subsequently introduced. Let us make an appraisal of the development planning model as it was implemented during this phase. What were the major gains? First, we can mention massive step up in terms of both industrial and agricultural growth. There was acceleration in the manufacturing industry in the 1950s to 1964, followed by deceleration until 1970 and again a renewed spurt led by an expansion of state expenditure. Second, there was a considerable diversification of industrial production as the capital goods sectors and other infant industries came up and achieved some level of production. Earlier only cotton, sugar and jute textile existed. Third, domestic self-sufficiency in food production was achieved through food consumption remained low. It was a major achievement 
considering the fact that the late as in 1964 to 66, 12% of food grains required was imported. As for the more major criticism of the development planning model, it was in terms of the failure of the land reforms and the rise of a high cost industrial economy. The strategy of the import substitution based on export pessimism also came under question. What emerged was a complex and wasteful system involving corruption in an institutionalized manner. Despite its phenomenal success, the Green Revolution came to be criticized for being energy intensive and not labor intensive. Then dryland farming neglected urban rural divide in economic terms got accentuated despite massive government expenditure. In class terms, a dominant collision comprising a proprietary classes namely the industrial capitalist class, the land owning class and the bureaucracy as Parnap Bardhan and Sudipta Kaviraj among others have argued have benefited most from the developmental policies under the socialism like the grant of subsidies both to the rich farmers as well as the industrial capitalist classes. The governments became the hospital for the sick industrial units as nationalization took place in the name of helping out the working class. The professionals in the public sectors holding the intellectual capital benefited from the institutionalized corruption as the state played the regulatory role in the economic arena. In all fairness, however, there was always a conscious conscious efforts on the part of the Indian state to reconcile economic policies with the compulsion of the political process so that the conflicts in the interaction of economies and politics could be minimized. Politics of accommodation was followed, welfareist policies were very much in place that the sharing of the spoils was on agenda was evidented in the form of the aims to have a socialistic pattern of society based on the twin objectives of eradication of poverty and equitable distribution of resources. Call for industrial capitalism always combined with the radical rhotic of a political democracy. In sociological terms, it was thought very much under the influence of the post-war Western liberal modernization or political development theory that modernization would reduce the linguistic diversities. Secularism would do away with the religious identities and affirmative actions would make caste wither away. Overall, welfare policies were also to contribute in a homogenizing agenda of national building. Thus, in India, the idea of social democracy and a welfare state along the known capitalist path to development seemed achievable. Now, let us wind up the session and thank you very much for engaging yourself with the self-learning podcasts.